Hello and welcome to Editor's Pick, a War Elephant podcast. This is episode 12 and we're joined by very special guest hosts, Ron Bishop, GOP County Party Chair of Fond du Lac County in Wisconsin. Hi everyone. We also have our War Elephant founder, John Davis here. Uh, Jaden, one of uh, the GOP County employees who worked with Ron in the election and also one of our members. And Christine, our chief editor at The War Elephant. Hello, welcome everyone. So as you can see, we have a full house, so we're gonna get right to it. First off, Ron, tell us a little bit about how you got into um, local Wisconsin politics. Um, it was kind of an accident. So when I grew up in a Republican family, uh, we watched the news. We were involved in current events. We, my parents always voted Republican. My grandfathers on both sides of the family were more active than my parents. My dad's dad was a precinct committee chairman in suburban Illinois during the Nixon Ford era. And my mom's dad was a volunteer to the 1952 Republican convention in support of Bob Taft, who would lose that primary to Dwight Eisenhower. So it was kind of in the blood. So then when I was in my 20s here in Waupon, Wisconsin, I was on the city council. And in 2008, people were reaching out to me to get a McCain Palin yard sign. They figured since I was their alderman, they knew how I knew that they figured I knew how to get one. So I made a couple calls, tracked down the Dodge County, Wisconsin GOP chairwoman. She put me in touch with the Fond du Lac County GOP chairman at the time was Dan Fyan. And he hooked me up with some signs and asked if I wanted to help out a little bit in the campaign. And I said, sure. So I volunteered some time in 2008. Not a lot, but I did a little bit. And then in 2009, Chairman Fine had called me and asked if I joined the county party executive committee. Um, Fond du Lac County is a rather large county. And the largest city in the county is the city of Fond du Lac. And they were trying to get more diverse and have people from all over the county on the executive board. So he thought of me and I agreed to do it. I was on the executive committee about, I think, two, two and a half years. And then in 2011, I missed the annual county party caucus. And because I wasn't there, I was unanimously elected the treasurer. So <laughs> I've never missed a caucus ever since. It's a completely true story. So I served as the county party treasurer from 2011 until 2017. In 2016, the chairman, Dan Fine, was elected to the state Senate, and he didn't want to be in both positions. And I got elected the chairman in 2017 and reelected in 2019. Congratulations. That's quite the history. Yeah. And it's like I said, I didn't plan it out this way. It's just kind of worked out. And it's it's been a lot of fun and it's it's a lot of time um, in a normal year where you don't have COVID. The Republican Party of Fond du Lac County has a float that we participate in nine different parades throughout the county. Um, there are anything from Memorial and Labor Day parades to the little county firemen picnics at all the little towns throughout the county. Um, that's what we do to really keep our image up and to support candidates throughout the county. We'll do that in an odd year or an even number year. But like I said, this year we only had one parade because of COVID. Um, in the off year, we try to raise money and then have an office during the election season. Um, we had a nice one this year. Jaden, I can see he's in it right now. And um, then what we do is we raise money to be the behind the scenes infrastructure for all the elected Republicans in Fond du Lac County. 
So I have some questions, but my co-hosts, I hope, will feel free to jump in with questions to clarify or new directions, um, because my questions are all pretty general, so they can be asked at any time. Um, my next question was, what was it like this year? Um, not just because of COVID, but because this is a presidential year, which everyone knows is much bigger than your certainly your midterms, but also definitely your off-season elections. So what was that like this year? Um, it was pretty intense. We, we had uh, way back in um, late winter when we brought Jaden on, I had told him that we had set out a goal in Fondelac County to get a huge turnout, and we needed to get about 62 63% of the vote for Trump because we knew the turnout in Dane and Milwaukee counties, which are the two most Democratic counties in our state, was going to be off the charts. They were in the 2018 midterms. Those two counties voted, Dane County voted at presidential levels in 2018. So we knew that as much as Donald Trump is good for the Republican Party base and firing our people up, he would do just the same for the Democratic Party. So we had a pretty audacious goal. Um, and I'm happy to say that we did reach it. We had a record turnout in our county. We got to 63% of the vote. So here in Final Act County, the Republican Party basically did what it had to do to try to help the president win the state. And it was it was a really close election here. <clears throat> well, uh, give us some idea of what it was you did that helped, um, you know, the Republican Party. And I assume uh, you obviously had Congress people up for election. Did you have any senators this year? No, no. The only statewide we had in Wisconsin was the presidential. And you're right, our local congressman, Glenn Grothman, was up for re-election this year as well. And so what we did is the Republican Party of Final Act County, we took the lead in finding the office location. And Trump victory, the state party, the Grothman campaign, our local elected officials, they farmed that out to me. So Al Ott, our vice chairman, and myself, we went and looked at different properties back in February. We settled on the, the KFIZ radio station building, which was the one we ended up being in. And it was a really nice location where we could promote at the, the county party. And we had office space for all of our campaigns. So they, they, the campaigns then can work in our office without any overhead or expenses. And that's one way that we help them is they don't have those costs. And um, the county party and, and myself, we promoted the office location. We held a grand opening. And we set up a little bit of a, I guess you could call it like a Trump shop in there. We had a table with Trump. It started with hats and flags and it turned into everything. And we were just, we, technically we didn't sell it. We had all the stuff there and, and people can make a donation to the county party and leave with something. And um, that was very successful for us. So the county party is going to enter 2021 in the strongest position it's ever been in and probably the history of the county party. What would you say to someone who wanted to get involved in local politics? I think War Elephant really has a goal of promoting community engagement and local politics are a great way to do that. So what would you say to someone who's curious about where to start? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Joining a local county party is a smart thing to do. If you have any interest in politics or, and I don't even mean that you want to be in politics or run for office, you just, you care about things and you have an interest in it. And what I mean by that is, so the Republican Party of Final Act County, for the most part, we have a general membership meeting once a month, the first Thursday of the month. 
Um, this year, again, it was a little messed up, but that's normally how we do it. So you get to go to this monthly meeting. You get to hang out with like-minded people who think a lot like you. Uh, you get to meet your local elected Republicans because you'll see them regularly. And I don't just mean your congressman, although we see him too, but the county clerk a lot of times shows up, the sheriff, the district attorney, and they go through with their <coughs> on. And it's a fun way to stay informed, to know what's going on in the county, and to know what's going on locally with the issues. Um, oftentimes we have one or two even city and final act council members and county board people that show up. So you get a wide range of what's going on in the county, what's happening, and then you get to meet people. And like I said, they're like-minded people and you hit it off. And the coolest part about it for me is I've made several really good friendships over the years and um, I've gotten to know these people really, really well. And it's, you just, that's the best part about it is you get to really meet lots of people. So tell us about um, what your sort of day-to-day -day activity was like during the main election season. When did that start for you? And were there phases of the election that you went through? And what was that like? Yeah, there were kind of phases. Like, for example, so this year, the year starts in January. We had, that's when we hired Jaden, was late January, I think it was. Basically, once again, Trump Victory, our regional director for Northeast Wisconsin, is a nice guy named Ryan Retza. He emailed me and said, we're looking for different people in these counties. They were looking to hire a lot of people, so they didn't have the manpower to take care of it all. So I used our local social media and kind of put the job out there. Three, several people applied. I narrowed it down to three and put them in order. And the fact that Jaden's from Wapan may or may not have helped them, but uh, we they... Uh, I recommended him. He was top on the list and they hired him later that day. So that rolled us into our annual caucus, which is the annual business meeting of the county party. It's by the Republican Party of Wisconsin rules. It's the only meeting we have to have every year. And we get a good turnout for that. And so at that meeting, I unveiled Jaden to the membership and explained what his role was going to be. And then Kim McCollum, who I reached out to to be our Women for Trump organizer in Final Line County, she went on to do a really nice job as the campaign would go forward. So that gets us into February. That's when we were looking for office locations around the city of Final Lac. And um, we had a spring election coming up in April, nonpartisan, but the county parties, we like to be involved. And we had a meet and greet for a candidate for a appellate court judge in the area. That was early March. Then when COVID hit right around St. Patrick's Day, the state shut down and everything got canceled. So I was planning a Lincoln Day luncheon that got canceled. And for about six weeks, we were just in this weird holding pattern where I didn't know what to do and no one was sure what to do. Trump victory didn't know what to do. And that gets us to nomination paper time. So in Wisconsin for partisan office, well, for all offices, you have to circulate nomination papers to get your name on the ballot. So for the partisan races in November, that's done in the spring. Nomination papers start April 15th and go until about June, I think June 1st. <clears throat> and for whatever office you're running for, you need a different amount of signatures. And I knew our local Republicans were struggling getting names because you couldn't go door to door. You couldn't stand in the Piggly Wiggly parking lot with all the COVID restrictions. So I came up with this idea. I used my picnic table in the backyard and I had clipboards with the nomination papers for all the local Republican candidates, the district attorney, the county clerk, um, the, the county treasurer, my state senator, the congressman, state assemblyman. And 
I had all of the Trump stuff that they had already sent because we were supposed to be in an office. It was sitting in my garage. So I had Jaden come over and we put together all these little miniature Trump flags. And when, that's when the Trump Pence yard signs had showed up the first wave and people, there was a demand for that. So I said, Hey, I have all the Trump stuff. We put it on social media, come here and sign all the nomination papers. I had everyone socially distanced and I had every paper had a pen with um, hand sanitizer and, uh, we made a way to make that work. We got each candidate about 40 signatures over two Saturdays. And it was, we were, it was a creative thing to do in a weird year. And it worked out. It helped get all of our Republican candidates on the ballot. And then that got us to June. By June, they had lifted the restrictions and we were able to have a pints in politics. These are events that the county party hosts in different parts of the county. And we, we find an establishment somewhere and it's, it's called Pints and Politics. And so it's hosted by the County Republican Party. So we buy some appetizers or pizzas or something, and then it's a cash bar and people can show up. And again, it's mostly just a social gathering and it's a great chance for candidates running for office to meet other Republicans. So we were able to finally have one of those in June. And then I had a second one in Ripon, Wisconsin, which is also here in Fond du Lac County. And Ripon is known as the birthplace of the Republican Party. And because uh, we had a... Uh, an assembly race primary out there. So and then that would, we get to July, the office opened up July 15th. That's when we had a grand opening and started getting people set up in there. And then one of my best volunteers is a guy named Dave Seif. He's retired. So he had the time and he just basically became my business, my, my office manager. He set up the schedule. He lined up the volunteers. He made sure the place was open. Our office was open every day, Monday through Saturday from nine to five and Saturdays from like nine to three. And the office stayed very busy, especially during the month of August uh, when we were new and we had all the Trump stuff and people wanted the flags. They had, a, we, we helped organize a boat parade. Um, we brought in Kevin Nicholson to do an event one night. And then our former Lieutenant Governor, Rebecca Clayfish came in for a thing I called uh, breakfast with Becky. She's likely running for governor next year. And it was fun to have her come in. And that brought in 35, some 40 people on a Saturday morning. And every time you have an event like that, uh, you get new members, some money comes in, and you just keep people fired up. And then a uh, quick yeah. question about that uh, is Rebecca uh, Scott Walker's former lieutenant governor, or is she nope, from she previous? Was. She was Scott Walker's number two, which, and okay. before I get back, She's also a suburban, she's a suburban Republican soccer mom. So she's in that wheelhouse where we're struggling right now. And then, so I know I'm talking a lot, but that gets us into September, October. And then in October, we had Saturday set up where you could come to the office and we had packages put together with a Trump Pence flyer, a Congressman Grothman flyer. And then depending on where you were in the county, a Senator Fion or an Alex Dahlman or a Michael Shaw because the county has different legislative districts in it. And we did contactless door drops or lit drops because a lot of people didn't want to talk and shake hands. So we had these packets. We sent volunteers out in neighborhoods and then every house got a, a thing on their front door reminding them to vote, that early voting was starting and with all the Republican candidates in it. And then that gets us to election day where we had a party in the office and watched the returns come in. And at the local level, we did really, really well. So, um, Wisconsin 
along with a lot of states, has had a lot of controversy post-election. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and your perspective on that? Yeah, so the election was 20,600 vote difference. It put it, I think, at 0.05%. So the president has every right to request a recount when it's that close. And he did, and I thought that was fine. Um, the president has said things about the election being tainted and fraudulent, and there were rumors out there circulating. So they recounted Dayton and Milwaukee counties. So far in the state of Wisconsin, they found one fraudulent vote in Cedarburg, and it wasn't even cast. The clerk actually caught the ballot, and the person was arrested and has been charged with a couple of felonies. Um, so the Trump campaign is post-recount is suing to have a bunch of the absentee ballots kicked out on a technicality, and the state Supreme Court punted that to the lower courts. And so we'll see where that goes. But that's kind of where that thing is sitting right now. I'm, and <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of the trying to throw out the absentee ballots because, um, well, it is a technicality. So under Wisconsin state law, if you vote early, whether it's in person or by mail, that's technically an absentee ballot. So like I went on two Fridays before election day and I voted in Wapan, Wisconsin. And so I get my ballot and then I filled it out. The clerk is the witness. She signs the envelope of the ballot and it gets folded up and put away and it gets counted on election day. When you do that, you don't fill out a paper form requesting an absentee ballot. Technically, by state law, it sounds like you're supposed to be doing that. But the state hasn't enforced that in some 15 years. It's just kind of been given that if you make a verbal request to vote early, that that counted. Um, and so that's been the case for a long time. And so that that's the technicality they're trying to kick out a bunch of the ballots on. And, and Ron, I, I understand when you go in and vote that way in Wisconsin, you can't leave with your ballot. Is that correct? You have to fill it out right there. Yeah. Yeah. You fill it out right there. You show so your, your request was really your request to, <clears throat> to the clerk. Yeah. When I walked and then in, the clerk giving it to you. And they had it set up because early voting was popular. Like half the state voted ahead of it. In, in um, I don't know about countywide, but I know in Fond du Lac County, in the city of Wapan, Wapan was already at 100% of the 2016 turnout before Election Day. And that story was repeated all over the county. We pushed really, really hard for people to go and vote in those two weeks prior to Election Day. Just get the, I mean, I always say get the vote in and have it in the bank collecting interest. I mean, I get it. The vote doesn't count anymore if you cast it two weeks early, but it's one less voter I have to worry about turning out on election day. Isn't isn't that the old adage? Uh, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah, I never really knew what that meant, but you're right. It well, literally means it's a hunting if thing. Someone... Yeah. So if you're holding the bird, that's more valuable than two potential birds off in the yeah. bush that you could go after. Yeah, because you've already got the bird. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So um, what were the demographics like? One of the big stories for me as a Republican, well, I'm not really a Republican, I'm conservative and the Republicans generally align with my interests. Mm -hmm. But as a conservative, one of the things I was really excited about this year was um, the demo demographic shifts, um, you know, huge gains in Latino and um, black vote and working class vote. Uh, did you see something similar like that in Wisconsin or did you, what were the demographics like that you know about? 
I do know that Trump ran a little better in the city of Milwaukee than four years ago. And he did better with voters of color than we've done in the past several elections. You mentioned the Latino vote. I know like the Cuban American vote in Florida came in huge for him and really won that state. Um, in Fond du Lac County, well, in, in rural Wisconsin specifically, Trump really broke into that blue collar, white working class voter, the old Dave Obie voters up north that just always voted Democrat unless your name was Ronald Reagan or Tommy Thompson. And Donald Trump was able to get them and get them more involved in Republican politics. And it'll be interesting to see moving forward if they stay involved with the GOP or if they were just Trump voters. Um, one of the reasons we took it on in the midterm elections is a lot of those voters didn't vote because they voted, they wanted to vote for Donald Trump. But to their credit, they turned out to vote in 2020 and they voted up and down the ballot for Republicans, which is why we did so well down ballot in Wisconsin. We picked up two state Senate seats here while only losing two state assembly districts. So you take it was a really close election statewide. It was disappointing to win. Don't get me wrong. But if you look at the whole thing, all things considered, we had a fairly successful night. Well, I wanted to open up uh, Jaden, John, Christine. Christine's already had some questions, but anyone have some <laughs> things they want to pick Ron's brain on? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so some of the questions I have, um, you, you actually received kind of a lot of pushback after some statements um, regarding the election. Could you go ahead and open that up for, like, like just uh, tell us and tell our viewers what that was about? Sure. It goes back to the whole the process of the recount. So the Trump campaign had the recount. Um, it cost $3 million, and it gave Joe Biden a net gain of 87 votes. And so now they're going after those absentee ballots on the technicality. And I'm pushing back on that. One of the reasons is I was a strong supporter of Scott Walker's administration and the Republican majorities in the early 2011-12-13 era. We did a lot of election integrity and election reform legislation in our state, including needing to show a photo ID to vote, having to sign the book when you vote. And other, I forget all, but all we did, but there was a bunch of different pieces of legislation we passed to clean up our elections in Wisconsin. And they have been very successful in doing so. One of the pushbacks the Democrats always said during the Walker era was that we Republicans were trying to disenfranchise voters and keep them from voting. And I always strongly pushed back on that. I, even if you vote wrong, you have a right to vote and I want you to go and vote. But I want to make sure that all the votes are legally cast and that it's one person, one voter, and that we know who's voting. And so to see the Trump campaign now try to pull ballots randomly out in overwhelming, I mean, and let's just be honest, Milwaukee County, it's its very African-American community. It's, it's, it's not a good look for the Republican Party to be going in and trying to take a bunch of their votes out and throw them away in hopes of flipping the state in an election that we we lost. It was a close election. We gave it a good run, but I just think that's a bridge too far for me and it makes me uncomfortable and I've been rather vocal and pushing back against that. Okay. Um, one other thing, like a lot of it, like, like you had an article that you shared. It was from Wisconsin watch um, mm -hmm. that uh, maybe probably be nice for, for one of us later to, to share that article just so the readers have some background and some of the, uh, some of the stuff you've done. Um, I don't know. For me, it came off a little bit more critical, uh, a little more 
critical. Like there's there here's some of the stuff that 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 I've dealt with since the election. Um, one of one of my family members, really close, called me up and I like for me whenever the election night happened, you know, we were all having a nice little watch party here on here on War Elephant, just like oh wow, this is going really nice our direction. Uh, then everybody goes to bed and wakes up to a completely different reality, and that was that was what it was. But um, it was like it was also things that a lot of us had been fearing beforehand. You know, it was it was seeing the tons of absentee ballots that came in out of nowhere. Um, a lot of people on the ground who were who were showing at least some things that looked like voter fraud. A lot of things that that looked suspicious. So many of the irregularities were were suddenly coming to surface. Um, anyway, whenever whenever I uh, uh, came. After a while of just paying attention, I'm like, okay, well, um, it looks like it's going to go the other way. Uh, looks like we did a lot of really good things in other parts. So it seemed, it seemed at least to me, and you can, you can agree with this, you can disagree. It might be good for discussion. Maybe you can educate me on it. But um, uh, it seemed that Republicans showed up, and a lot of people showed up for Republicans. It's just they didn't show up for Trump as much as, as much as everything else. So I was like, okay, but um, that, I, that that did happen here. Go ahead. Even in our in the state of Wisconsin, our Republican incumbent congressmen all all pulled more votes in their districts than the president. And even in little in uh, the 18 state Senate, a state Senate district, it was uh, Dan Fine got two thousand five hundred more votes than President Trump did. There, there were a lot of people who turned out to vote Republicans, but they just didn't want to vote for the president. And that and, and had they all voted for him, he would have won the state of Wisconsin by three thousand votes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, uh, from what I understand, it was like that pretty much throughout throughout most of the nation um, where where I kind of got um, sympathetic, at least, was where this person in my family called up. She was really upset. She was like she's convinced that they stole the election. They stole the election. And she was terrified for uh, like your article says, she was she was terrified for the state of, the, of, of democracy in the country. And it's like. I get that. I get that. And, and I kind of wonder, like, like in yours, you were really critical of, of the president's uh, team for, for kind of sowing this uh, sense that we, that they're like, it's, it's voter suppression, the sense that, that there's unease. So I'm just kind of wondering, um, like, what would you say to, to, to empathize with those people that they're actually really concerned about all the irregularities that we saw that they're, they're kind of, in a place where for whatever reason they got there or not, they're scared and they're scared that the president we have is only there because he stole it. And it's like, it's, it's one thing for me to say, like, I, I'm sure that Biden legitimately won. I, I feel, I feel fair that he probably won. Um, I don't, I don't have to like it, but I'm not terrified for the state of democracy, but there's a lot of people out there who are. So I'm just wondering, like, we, we, we saw that that kind of critical side of, from the president, but what about all the people who are legitimately scared? Like, like what would you say to them? Well, part of that's just the rhetoric we've had in politics. If you've noticed, every election is the most important election in the history of the country. And if the wrong guy wins an election, we're all going to be socialists by March 15th. And like you said, John, I didn't vote for Joe Biden, and I don't think he's going to be a particularly good president, and I prefer the yeah. policies of Trump. But I don't think the country is going to be going down the drain just because Joe Biden won. I mean, Republicans picked up seats in the House and Senate. It's just it's a setback to what we believe in. Um, you're right. A lot of people are scared. They legitimately think the election was stolen. 
because that rhetoric is so red hot. There's a, a very popular talk radio station in Milwaukee that you can listen to, and they just talk as if the election was stolen. We all know it. Um, they come home, and they're, all their Twitter friends and Facebook friends believe it. Um, Twitter is an interesting place. It's got all the conspiracy theories out there, and, and the stuff gets retweeted, and no one takes a real critical look at what they're retweeting. And one of the things I've learned in the last month now is there's a lot of people who've never really been all that involved and <coughs> they don't know the whole process of elections and what all goes into it and all the policies and, and rules that are in place. And what I've been trying to do, <coughs> excuse me, is when people have these concerns or they think something went awry is to look into it and tell them what happened and and what really was going on. And I'm just trying to tell the truth. I'm more than open to looking for voter fraud. And if there was any involved, I'd like to know it because like I said before, I want to have nice clean elections and make sure everything's on the up and up. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a lot of where I was. Um, I got on election night. I got a lot of heat because like where, where most of our platform is, is on Quora. And core is a very, very left dominated space. Um, we're like a, it's, it's weird. Um, war elephant is, we're more conservative than anything, but we have a lot of libertarian voices, a lot of, uh, a lot of more independence, uh, even a few liberals, uh, speaking for the, for the, the free speech side of what we're trying to put on. But, um, it's like, because we also have a few people like me who, Whenever Trump does something right, I'll say it. I'll say that it's like, yeah, Trump did something right here. This was a very good thing. Well, because of that, in a very left-dominated space like Hora, uh, we're just these horrible Trump apologists. So on that first night, and anytime, anytime we do anything wrong, it comes under huge scrutiny. Well, that first night, that that night after the election, I was in the I was in that camp of this looks really suspicious. Like there's a lot of things that don't look right. Over time, things started to look better, and I agree with you. Like now, now it's like I'm. I'm I'm of two minds in that I really don't want Trump leaving the office to be the sort of thing that burns all bridges for the next four years. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, it's like we saw so much, at least a lot of circumstantial evidence that there's a lot of things concerning throughout the country as far as the election process that I'm very happy that now that's completely under light. Um, I'm just... I, like, I, I don't know. I'd like, I'm still at that point to where everything that I've ever done has been trying to communicate. Like, this is what just basic Trump supporters believe. Cause I mean, like with me, it's sometimes, sometimes really like what he does. Sometimes I don't, but um, I really want to try to put like, to give that voice to people who normally get overlooked. And like, as far as their concern, their fear, their uh, just so much with election night. Um, I, I don't know. Like, is there anything that you would do to actually just reassure them that no, there probably wasn't election fraud? Well, uh, yeah. Like, for example, in Wisconsin, we've been looking for it for a month and a week now, and like I said, we found one ballot. the The problem is, is we should probably do things like they do in Florida, where the early votes that are, where people, whether they're mail in or they cast their vote in person early, they don't wait till election day to enter them in. So what happened in Wisconsin is because so many people voted early, most places in our state, when there's a downtime throughout election day, they add the absentee ballots through. So in Fond du Lac County, we had all of our results by 9, 9.15 at night. In the larger cities, that's not the case. And so what happens is, is as the votes are coming in from Madison and Milwaukee, 
they're overwhelmingly Democratic areas. And then you go from having a lead at 10 o'clock to not having a lead by the next morning. And it just looks suspicious. Yeah, there was a way where the votes were all tallied at the same time or they didn't come trickling in. I think that would help because it's the old Illinois thing, like Cook County holds out to see how many ballots they have to come up with. That's not happening in Wisconsin, but you don't want to even have any any thought of an impropriety. Yeah, and I think that's huge, a huge element of it is that, like right now, you know, speaking from that, that Trump perspective, it's like, yeah, we're like people are acting like really upset about things now. But from their point of view, like we've had we've had the last election has been interfered with the last four years. You know, we had that we had the impeachment trial. We had all this. So it's like I fully support people who want to investigate as much as we can just because we have to rebuild trust. And if we rebuild trust through absolutely scrutinizing every single thing. I'm okay with that. And like one thing that like we had uh, somebody from Florida that I was talking to and, and he was talking about, you know, that after, uh, after uh, Bush Gore, you know, they went through and they fixed everything. <laughs> they fixed they all did, their yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's like, because I remember back in high school, I'm like, so, so who's Chad? Who's Chad? I don't remember him running, <laughs> like, Chad? but uh, you know, after the whole hanging Chad thing, and it was like, like I was telling people that were like, so, so what do you mean? We don't know who the president is. I'm like, guys, you need to go back a few elections. We didn't know until like the the end of December who the president was going to be. But um, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm going to. And, and I guess I guess John, that's also a reassurance to people on the left, right? Just because something's being contested doesn't mean it's the end of democracy. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's like no, no, it's like there's a lot of us who there's a lot of us who who really just want to say is like, look, you guys really did your share to make people not have faith in the government for a while. So we want to do our part to to really make sure that, look, everybody now has faith in the system because we have thoroughly checked every single under like, like under every rock, under everything. There's a lot of other people who, you know, it's a vengeance thing. And I know that like, like I know that oh, there's yeah. there's a huge element of vengeance dealing with, um, you know, a lot of people feeling that Trump's entire uh, presidency was invalidated in many ways. And it's like, I, you know, I try to look as much as I can from every possible motive and see, okay, yeah, I can see a lot of people doing that. Um, I really hope that we can come out of this not too embittered. And, and I think that your article mentioned, um, mentioned the, the polarization that we can try not to be as polarized as we can. I, I just don't know. Like there's, there's a lot of things that, that make me very nervous and, and just, there's, just there's... off the subject, like there's been a, I was approached. There was a story that I wrote several years ago about America going into civil war, and people have brought that back up. And I'm like, you know, it's it's not very good to be doing well because of something this bad of this bad of a topic. But well, when I went anyway, into the polarization thing. So when I speak to the high schools in the county and sometimes college students, one question that's always asked is, "What's one thing I would change about politics?" And my answer is to force people to actually interact and talk to people they don't agree with. I hinted at this before, but you can literally, if you're on the Republican side of the aisle, you can listen to talk radio all day, go home and have Facebook and Twitter friends that only follow the like-minded, um, what you think. You can watch Fox News all night and never interact with someone who doesn't agree with you. And that's not healthy. And then when they meet someone who votes differently, they actually get angry and think that that person's an idiot. It's not that they're an idiot. They just disagree with you. And if you're going to insult them and call them names, you're not going to earn their vote in the next election. And that's why I try not to go there because 
we lost this race, but that doesn't mean we can't change minds going into the next election. And I think it's important for political parties to be more forward looking and optimistic. And, you know, in Wisconsin, we have a debate a lot about our assembly districts being gerrymandered. But you can look at that Wisconsin map, and this last election is another example of it. People don't even want to live with people that don't agree with them. 60% of the counties are, are landslide counties, which overwhelmingly voted for Trump or overwhelmingly voted for the Democrats. And it, it's just the reality of it. And we have these pockets of Democrats surrounded by a sea of red. And I don't, I don't know, if, I don't think that's good. It's just the reality of where we're at. Well, and it's actually causing divorces. It's affecting dating patterns for single people. It, it is, like you said, it's not healthy. And I think what John, what you and John have both said, where people just focus in on one thing and and let their anger get the better of them. And well, uh, the resentment. Sorry, go ahead, Christine. So we we had a situation here where during the campaign. Uh, a whole bunch of houses were vandalized. To houses clarify, here is rural Minnesota. Rural Minnesota, yeah. I live in rural Minnesota, like the middle of almost nowhere. <laughs> and and I had a neighbor with $35,000 in property damage because he flew an American flag. And another an neighbor... American flag, not a Trump flag. Not a Trump flag, an American flag. And another neighbor who was flying a Trump flag had it ripped down and then a tree was used as a battering ram to batter down his door. And my dad was assaulted, physically assaulted by some of these same people doing that, that property damage because he was just walking by and they yelled racial explicatives and cursed him out for being uh, a Republican. And, and he's just, he's not, he's just an, retired guy who was walking his dogs you know and that's crazy that's absolutely crazy stuff and we've heard tales about that from people on the right too and that's like the last thing we need in this society you know and i think a lot of the rhetoric that has been used on the media sites in order to sell because rage sells mm -hmm. has really at fault here no, I agree with that. Uh, Jaden had some stories when he was doing doors in some of the more democratic parts of the county where people were yelling at him. And I think one person even called the cops on him because he was wearing a Trump hat. <clears throat> we, we heard about that. Yeah. yeah, last week I remember him talking about it. But yeah, I thought I talked about that last week too. It was crazy. crazy. And Jaden had came over. It, it bugged him that day. And I'm like, oh, the longer you do this, you're kind of getting used to it. Not yeah, after a little while, just after a little while, it just sort of feels like you know, hey, cool. Well, that now, now, now I know one person who's not on the team. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Would you happen to tell me any more of your friends so I can know which houses to avoid? <laughs> but uh, no, no. It's but that's like, well, so sad. I mean, that is so sad to me. Well, you see, because like, like, people shouldn't be that way. Well, one of the things that uh, that like I've been trying to pay a lot of attention to is the way that. People, and this is a right and left issue, but people are sort of making it to where every single every single issue on the ticket is a moral issue. And it's like it shouldn't be like tax policy shouldn't be a a, a moral issue in the sense that, no, I just feel like the funds should come from this place and go to this thing. You know, that shouldn't be a moral issue. But it's like um, with every single one of these wedge issues that is that is dividing one side or the other. No, you're you're an immoral person if you go to the other side. 
And it's like, I would like to think that my side's better, that typically we just sort of, if you disagree with us, it's because you're a dumb person. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the other side, if you disagree with us, you're going to, like, you're you're evil. Yep. Um, and it's like, I, I would like to think that my side is is kind of like that, that that old joke that if um, if you're not a Democrat by the time you're 20, then, uh, then you don't have a heart. But if you don't have a uh, if you're Republican by the time you're 30, you don't have a brain. You know, like, I, I would like to hope that that joke still applies, but... But it's like it's it's that morality issue that every single thing is a point of character. And if you don't agree on even the minor stuff, then you are an evil person who uh, who who wants all whatever people to suffer. And it's like, no, no, that's it's getting weird that it's to that point that everything is a moral issue. I think that's why people are clinging a lot more to conspiracy theories that in the past perhaps they would have rejected between that and the phenomenon you mentioned of only listening or watching or talking to people with like opinions, which makes any stress testing of your ideas extremely difficult. Well, when you're willing to believe anything, it's hard to like, how do you convince it when the election wasn't stolen? I mean, people have said, well, Ron, prove it. I'm like, well, okay, how do I prove a negative? You've got very little evidence. You've got a few irregularities that we've looked into in Wisconsin. You know, one of the one of the emails I got was people who early voted and then died. I actually went down and asked my local clerk about it. She's like, no, we watch the obituaries. And if somebody early votes and dies, we pull that ballot out. It doesn't happen much. You know, so it, all of these things that are being brought up, I think it's good that they're brought up and I think they should all be looked into so that people can have faith and confidence in our elections. Cause if you don't have faith and confidence in our elections, then why vote? Yeah. Well, Ron, you know, AG Hamilton who writes for the Federalist has looked into all of these allegations quite carefully and he's not finding any support for them either. Yeah, and I forget, I listened to the podcast Advisory Opinion, I forget her last name, <coughs> she had a really good podcast where she was going through all the different irregularities all over the country and was able to explain them and what was going on. And I mean, I know sometimes it looks funny and it's good that we take a second look at it. That's why I never had a problem doing the recount in Wisconsin. It was close. And if people have questions, let's take a look and let's make the local clerks um, prove it. But so far, we haven't been able to prove that it was a crooked election. Yeah. Um, go, going back to something else you said, like, like you mentioned something um, <clears throat> that if we could change the uh, change the political process, it would be to 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 force people to talk to people they disagree with. Like, I, I'm curious. It's like in, in theory, like, like we've heard that we've heard that, you know, a lot over the last five, six, seven years now that it's like people need to be having conversations with people they disagree with. Um I'm just wondering, do you actually have a mechanism for that that doesn't violate, you know, civil rights? You know, like, like how do you force people to talk? <laughs> you know? well, you got to go out and make friends that are Democrats. Like, I've got a few in the area that I get along with just fine. And um, <clears throat> I know they don't agree with me on things, but I still just and a lot of times you just have to be more mature. Sometimes I've got some Democrat friends that will take their little cheap shot at Trump or something and it's tempting to shout back and. I mean, it's family Christmas. Let's not scream at each other over politics. And I think at some point, it's bad for our culture that <clears throat> politics is taking over everything. It's in sports. Um, it's it's just it's in the pop culture. Everywhere you go, there's politics, and people aren't getting a break from it ever. And so everyone their their hair stands up, and they're very defensive. And it, it no one ever gets a break from it. And I don't think that's particularly healthy either. In in religious terms, we're almost engaging in idolatry. 
No, that's that's where politics. I was gonna go. That's where I was gonna go. Is that you know I'm a I, I'm a very religious person, and like I kind of wonder people act people act with politics the way that that I sort of internalize my religion, and it's like people think I actually care about politics a lot more than I do. I'm like, no, I care a lot more about the fact that I don't get to go to church very often. You know, like that that bothers me a lot more right now. It's like Trump didn't win. Okay, I'm kind of still. Uh, and it's not even that I'm being forced not to go. It's that our area of the of the state has pretty high COVID rates. My wife being an example, you know, like, like she's a teacher, so it was sort of like we were waiting for the gun to go off. But um, elementary too, you know, they're licking everything all the yep. time. But um, <laughs> but it's like so so it bothers me that we don't get to go to church more often. But it's like getting into that morality thing, getting into the way that people are treating this as this this sort of moral code. Like it, it bothers me that people are treating politics as if it were a religion. Like politics is not a religion. It's just, it comes from, it, it, I always find it interesting that like politics and police come from the same root word um, over in, and I believe it's Greek, but, but it's the same root word as cities, you know, polis. And it's like, all it is is that we have to have a means to get along together. That's that's all it is. It's just a means to get along with each other. It shouldn't take over your life like this. And I mean, like, like th th that may sound disrespectful to somebody who is, you know, a county chair, you know, but it's like, like, I don't feel like that's what I'm seeing from you. I don't feel like you're somebody who's, who's been radicalized. And, and you know, Jaden, you have your, your posters all over the place. Maybe it's not really all that great. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's certainly like, a job for them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it certainly is. But it's like, it, it bothers me that people are, people are placing the part of their brain, the part of their heart that is reserved for religion. And they're just getting this amoral sense of, of how, how do we structure tax policy? Like, 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 like our, I was in the Marines and I went to Iraq. So it's like, I care very much about how, how we interact with, with our allies, how we interact with our enemies. But it's like, that does not make me a moral person. You know what I mean? And, and it bothers me so much that people are turning that into it. But it's like, no, I am actually looking for somebody who can have an answer to that question of how do you force people to talk without violating civil rights? Because it's like, I would love to just have people sit down and like, no, no, gay rights, go. <laughs> just like, well, just see where that goes. But one of the things that's changed over the last 25, 30 years is politics has become an entertainment, um, which explains primetime cable news lineups. Like when I was a kid in the 1980s, politics. It explains why we're getting views right now. Right. But it's also like when I was a kid in the 80s, it was politics was boring. You turned on C-SPAN, they played classical music in the background and a guy with a boring voice and here comes President Reagan now to give a marks to the Farm Bureau, you know? But now <laughs> it's such, um, we've had two presidents in a row that were kind of celebrities. I am, you know, Donald Trump obviously was a celebrity. And I think Barack Obama kind of was, even though he was in politics before he ran for president. And, and it's just, it's on TV all night long and there's podcasts and there's so many places. And I mean, it's good that people want to be involved because it's, it's how the country governs itself. And I think it's good that people are involved and up to speed on what's going on. I just, you mentioned the religion thing. If, if you're taking it too far, then the country is starting to hate each other. And that's not so good. No. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, there is a rise of what is basically a new secular religion on the left in postmodernism. And that's getting a lot of traction. It's causing a lot of interest activity, but also anger because it uh, has to do with these narratives that don't necessarily have to be reinforced by facts. 
It's just that the narrative and your personal experience is the most important thing. And so we see that a lot on the left, but what's been really interesting is among some of Trump's most devoted followers, in a large way, they actually embrace these postmodernist narratives as well. In fact, James Lindsay, who was a scholar who's famous for the so-called squared hoax, had said Trump was our first postmodernist president. Uh, and this is something that drove a lot of people insane because his relationship with truth was a little bit fluid. You know, and, and it's something everyone could recognize, but a lot of people really embraced that because they saw, I think, because they saw people from the left doing it. They're like, yes, somebody who fights the same way on the mm -hmm. right. And I think that's been incredibly destructive for our political discourse in this nation. Yeah, and I don't know if it goes back to the Robert Bork hearings, but you're right. I mean, just as a conservative Republican, and I saw how Bork was treated, how uh, George W. Bush was treated, Mitt Romney, Brett Kavanaugh. These are people, I would argue, are good, decent, and honorable men who didn't deserve that, Clarence Thomas. And so when Trump comes along, we finally had someone on our side giving it to them the way they used to give it to us. And it's like when you're a kid at school and there's a bully and then you get the bully who goes after the bully and you rally to that guy because he's sticking up for you. And I completely understood where it was coming from. And I think that's why the bond between President Trump and his supporters is so strong. There's millions and millions of Americans out there who felt no one was speaking up for them, looking out for them or fighting for him. And he he did. And you're right. He could be a little fluid with the truth. But when you get down to brass tacks, he made a few basic promises in 2016 and he held to them. Um, he, for example, he went to the conservatives like me who were very skeptical of him and said, I will appoint judges from the Federalist Society and you're going to like them. And he did do that. And one of the primary reasons I was rather proud to vote for him for re-election was what he was doing to the federal judiciary. Um, I wish the Republican Party would get back to worrying about budget deficits and entitlement reform, but there's no political will for it anywhere in the country right now. So until that happens, no kidding. Well, like one of the things, that, one of the things I get concerned about, and I mean, like I don't want to take this to a hyperbolic place, but you know, like I was in Iraq, and and one of the things, like we 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 stuck by the rules. You know, like there's a lot of treaties that you're supposed to follow. There's a lot of uh, uh, the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's actually far more extensive than the treaties that we're forced to to follow from, from uh, international law. But it's like, we're over here fighting a war by the rules. Um, from my perspective, the population hated us regardless. You know, like I'm talking about the American population. They, they hated us no matter what we do. And that's not fair. That's not the whole American population. But it's like, even now in 2020, I still get every single month, there's people who come in talking about how I was a murderer or how, you know, we, we went over there just to do horrible things. Um, we were doing that while the other guys were bombing schools. You know, the, the other team was bombing schools. And I really don't want to compare one side to, to terrorists or the other, but it's like whenever one side is trying to follow the rules and try to follow civility and the other side doesn't, then neither side feels very compelled to be civil. And it's like, then you have this horrible breakdown. And it's like, that's, that's some of the things that I worry about and some of the stuff I'm actually using as inspiration for, for the civil war story that that I'm talking about, well, but it's no like backlash to 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 
to, to acting that way. Like the Democrats for a lot of years were never punished by the voters for their behavior. And so now yeah. Republican and the, and your base loves it. The base loves it when you fight back and you fight hard. So like you look at some of these states, if the state legislature was willing to overturn a slate of electors, what would the political backlash be? Who's going to vote against my state assemblyman here? It's an overwhelmingly Republican area. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like, it, it's a lot of things that, that I'm still sitting in a very concerned place. It's like we were talking earlier in the beginning that, um, you know, we're not all going to be socialist by March. It's like, I agree with that, but it's like, I think that a lot of people would agree that 2020 overall is worse than 2010. And it's like 2010, I don't think is as good as 20, uh, 2004. And it's like, like, I kind of want to worry about the direction things are going. You know, it's not that I think that we're going to be socialists in, in a couple of weeks. You know, like I'm not as crazy worried about it as other people. It's just like I, I do wonder. I do wonder just because I don't see it getting better. And I see that the worst behaviors on one side are getting copied by the other. And I'm not even saying which side is which. It's like whenever one of us acts badly, the other one doesn't, you know, step up and just do the, the nice mature thing like, like you were talking about. And I, I think that everybody agrees with. It's that the worst behaviors get copied because, like, unfortunately, that's survival. That is the way that humanity survives is to take the most survivalistic behaviors and copy them. And then I, later I, to find the, the morality around that. I think, John, too, social media is not helping here because what might be isolated incidences get amplified and turned into huge national examples and then everyone goes, well, everybody on that side thinks that way and acts that way. Yeah, yeah. And like, I, I'm at least happy that most people seem to be aware that social media is is a source of the problem because they are aware that, you know, I, I have talked to my Democrat friends and they actually aren't insane. Um, well, okay. There's there's that one girl from high school. There's that one girl from high school. I'm not going to give her any credit. But, um, you know, like they, they, they actually do. And then, um, and then whenever we, we, but when we get online, we do, we see these like Florida man stories to where like one tiny little thing suddenly explains the entire behavior of Florida. And, but no, and it's the same sort of generalization. So it's like, I do agree with you, but I, I at least hope that people are becoming more aware of it, you know, because like, it seems like they are, it seems like people are being aware that the social media is an issue. It seems like people are becoming aware of some of these things we're talking about, you know, like I just hope. I hope that by the time that, you know, you're running maybe, I don't know, the Republican Party for for a lot of for a lot of your state next year or next cycle, that a lot of these issues will be behind us. But I don't know. I'm I'm concerned it won't be. Call me a pessimist. But, you know, it's like it's it's nice never to be surprised. It, it would be nice. Like, and hopefully I don't know if it would take a different kind of candidate. Um, I don't mean that as a knock on Trump, but he he played really good to the whole he was the fighter. And, and so maybe yeah. if you have a more uniting message, but that's Trump's personality. So, and it worked for him. Like I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that it's always a negative, but maybe if then the next Republican candidate will be of a different personality and you can start to get back to some more of a normalcy as to how things were and prove you can still win that way. will be interesting to see. Well, you know, that's a good question to ask. Cause I mean, like now, now I'm just curious what like personal opinions, you know, like what you think that a good a good Republican candidate would look like personality wise, because I mean, like from my from my point of view, I'm from that that bitter group that it's like, OK, Trump's a racist, sexist, homophobic, yada, yada. 
so was Thank Mitt you, Romney. Huffington Post. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, so was Mitt Romney. So was John McCain. Mm -hmm. So was George. So was George Bush. So was first George Bush. So it's like all these people who you're now sainting. It's like by 2024, is Trump going to be the? Oh, if we only had Trump. Oh, it was so good under Trump. If, if no. because of this horrible, horrible man running for president, this horrible, <laughs> horrible, probably white man running for president, and I'm like, okay, so so I mean, like, like in in your in your point of view, like like what what would be a good face for the Republican uh, Party here in the next uh, next four years? Well, a lot can change in four years because remember in 2012 we had the Romney loss and we had that postmortem and it's like well we have to do this this and this or we can just blow it up and run with Trump and win an election <laughs> <laughs> looking at the field right now I do like the idea like I really like Tim Scott senator from South Carolina because he's a solid conservative but the way he talks is very optimistic and uplifting and um I think Christy Nome of North South Dakota is going to give a good run for it as well. The problem Tim Scott's going to have is if Nikki Haley gets another race. And the mm -hmm. other thing that will be interesting to see is do we have another 16-candidate field of a bunch of people who no one wants to get, get? One of the things that stinks about presidential politics now is 20 people will run because the first 10 people that drop out, they still get to write a book and they get to go on Fox News. And <laughs> a so a lot of people aren't even serious. And they might get a secretary position. Right. So like here in Wisconsin, I really do like the idea of Rebecca Clayfish running for governor because she is a, she's a good conservative. She was Walker's number two. She's a suburban soccer mom, which is where the Republican Party in Wisconsin is hurting right now is in the suburban areas, especially with the female voters. And if we can, I hate identity politics. And so this makes me very uncomfortable because I don't like looking at people how they look. I think we should go on what they're going to do and what they promise and what their beliefs are. But at the same time, there's a lot of diversity within the Republican Party and it gets missed by people because we're always running old white guys for a lot of high offices. And so if you can get a little more diversity just so that the American people can see that there's more to the Republican Party than a bunch of old crabby white people, that's a good thing too. Ron, I would like to point out the Republican slate of candidates in 2016 for the primary was incredibly diverse. It was. I know because you, you had um, you had Marco Rubio, you had Ted Cruz, you had Carly Fiorina. My early favorite was Scott Walker. There was a lot of diversity in that in that primary field. It just it, you know it went the way it went. And I, I think we'll see that more increasingly because in this election in the House, women and minority Republicans picked up seats, and there yeah. are now more of both than there have ever been. This I, wasn't big headlines. No, but in fact, I think every Republican pickup in the House of Representatives was a female candidate, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and well, where are you hearing that, though? Hearing what? Like, where are you hearing that news? That they're all oh, from the Republican Party. Uh, and actually from uh, the Reagan Battalion did a really good job tracking statistics this year. Yeah, well, like, like the the reason I ask is that like, I don't know. It's like I, I agree with you. I agree with you on everything you're saying. Like, I don't like the identity politics. It's like it should be these are issues that make sense, but the identity politics is like what it's where things are going. And like, I feel like that's borrowing the tactics that work. You know, it's it's borrowing the tactics that work, and and it's as unfortunate as it is, but it is what it is. Well, no, but, well, so but, we've been pigeonholed. Okay, conservatives. 
and, and I'm speaking as a classical liberal here, okay? Yeah. But conservatives have been pigeonholed and described as the party of old white men. Demographically, yeah. that doesn't add up. It, it doesn't add up by our, our voters. Uh, what we are is much more representative of the nation as a whole. And what you see in, on the, the left is that they're, the Democratic Party is very representative of the urban courts. Yeah. So I, I don't think identity politics per se is dictating actually either, even though everything gets framed in that, that worldview lately. I think what we're seeing more is what the special interests of the urban areas are versus the the interests of the larger nation. Well, the the reason the reason that I asked the original question was that, like for for me, it's like it comes down to that media. Like I was I was always one of the per people who considered the whole um, biased liberal media thing to be just another one of the the conservative conspiracy theories until election night twenty sixteen, and I, I I swear they were saying how did we lose? I was like, what do you mean we? <laughs> it's like right. what do you mean we? Right. But then. Um, but but then over time it was like yeah so I mean where where I'm concerned is that if we play if we play all the games and I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to go for for the conservative or for the uh, suburban soccer moms that we shouldn't try to to be open to people of color I'm not saying we shouldn't but if we try to do all those things and do all the things following a narrative that isn't conservative just trying to say we can be conservative while also hitting all of your checkpoints. But the media refuses to report on it when we do right, such as like talking about how how many female uh, candidates have picked up in the House. Um, I, I don't know. It's like, what's the point? And and at, at what point? It's like, when when are we shooting ourselves in the foot by trying to to follow all these? I, I don't know. Like that, that that feels like John, a strategic Republican problem. So I'm, I'm just more curious about about what you guys think on that one. John, as long as they're running candidates because they're highly qualified and talented. It's not an issue. The, the problem comes when you start recruiting candidates specifically to meet a demographic without regard to their skill level or knowledge or anything else. And right now, I can't say I see that happening on the Republican side. I have my doubts on the Democrat side, thanks to that organization that funds candidates such as AOC and uh, the rest of the squad Justice Democrats. Thank you. Yes, Justice Democrats. They actually put out casting calls for their candidates, and race is, and religion are two of the check marks on there. So I, I think as long as the Republican Party stays away from that and keeps focusing on a message of hopefully freedom, I, I think that's going to have a lot of gains. What do you think, Ron? I think we. However, we do it. You're right that we cannot uh, we cannot give up our conservative principles, and we always have to keep the message of smaller, smarter government, being responsible, financially responsible. And I, you know, in Wisconsin, we proved in 2011 you can take on the hard issues, and you might get blowback and recall elections, but you can still do it and win. And I think if we could do that at the federal level, it takes the right candidate at the right time. But it's something where I think as a Republican Party, because I think we're right on the issue. So why not challenge the Democrats straight up and have the American people make a choice on it? You know, I, I thought the president, one of Trump's problems is he, he, he struggled staying on message a lot because he just, you know, he is what he is. But I thought the best 15 minutes of the whole reelection campaign was the first 15 minutes of that second debate. 
this whole year the COVID issue was hurting us. But then in that second debate, he called out Joe Biden and said, look, we can't just hide in our basement. The kids have to go to school. People have to go to work. He knew the COVID numbers in the country. He knew the COVID numbers in Europe. He knew what was going on, and he was on top of the issue. And that was the best he looked on that issue the entire campaign. And I was watching mm -hmm. that debate, and I thought if that Donald Trump was always the one on the cameras, I think he'd be in a stronger position. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And actually, I'm, I think his response to COVID is one of the most stellar things that's come out of his presidency. And he takes so much flack for this. And I know people are going to just hammer on me. Uh, most of the world when people know nearly my entire social circle is pretty far left. So I'm taking a risk by coming on saying this. But I think that with Operation Warp Speed and the way that he cut through the red tape and made the scientific research possible to happen and they moved heaven and earth whenever there were problems in the ways for the different researchers they opened up research funding to a huge diversity of groups that would never normally get funding and they, they pumped so much money into it and nearly every academic laboratory in the country switched to what they were doing was focusing on COVID in some way shape or form so that we amassed this enormous body of knowledge in an extremely short period of time and this would not have been possible without somebody who believed that they weren't beholden to running things the way they have always been run, to keeping the structures of government that keep everything in control in place. And, and for that, I am going to give him tremendous credit. And he didn't get the credit he deserved. He kept promising and saying that we were going to have this vaccine by the end of the year. And a lot of people just didn't believe him because part of his shtick his whole life was always kind of overpromising. You know, that's kind of how Trump brand mm -hmm. worked. And, 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 I, and I think that hurt us on that issue because a lot of people were like, yeah, he says we're going to have one, but who knows if we, and we're going to, you can see it now it's coming. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of hope just for his sake that the mass distribution of it starts while he's still the president because it was his, it's his, it's his victory. Yeah, and I see Biden taking credit. So I have yes, Ian. <laughs> Sorry. So I have I have two questions I wanted to end with. Um, the first one is this is the, they're both lighter questions. We've dealt with a lot of sort of fun, uh, serious topics, but I wanted to sort of end on a lighter note. The first is I'm still a little peeved that Trump didn't market <laughs> MAGA masks. You know. Cover oh, well, your did, face though. with a uh, "Make America did, Great Again." Yeah, yeah. Be, yeah. Well, yeah. Be, did they? Well, whenever yes, I went I to Tulsa, because I, I went to the uh, like I, I live in Oklahoma, so I went to the Tulsa uh, rally uh, just because it was like, no, dude, that, like who opens anything in Oklahoma? This is a historic event. I have to be there. Um, but but <laughs> we went there, and I have a Trump Pitts mask from that they were handing out at the event. So it's like it, it was it was a thing. It just wasn't a big thing. Like yeah, a, and I just up. saw one. But I, I feel like it should have been yeah. I should have been nationwide. It should have been really big because I think that might have because it was such a close election. I really think that might have made a difference. And it might have been. But then again, safe, in this you know? day and age, I mean, ever since the punch and Nazi meme came out, I think people have been a little bit reticent to put a big punch me here sign on their face and there are people bad who would have seen it that way because like i i do not fear at all being punched in the face for wearing that Except it's like i could walk around i i could walk around just wearing like a giant cape with with trump pence in the middle of main street and just people be like hey you know so i feel bad for you guys yeah. <laughs> well but but here's my thought 
the the masks became such a, a tribal yeah. signal. They became more than just a health thing. They became, I fear this disease. I'm with Trump. I'm against Trump. They became that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if they marketed in areas like Oklahoma, where you know there, there's a lot of mockery by more liberal people of the the COVID deniers, if it had become a symbol of patriotism and and your side in those areas where it could be more of a problem, I think we could have really seen some better results. I, I just think, I'm just wondering, what do you think, Ron, if they marketed more of Trump merchandise masks, do you think that might've turned things more in your favor? Cause it was, as you said, 20,000 votes, very small number. That might've helped in the suburban areas where, you know, it's weird. You go to rural Wisconsin and COVID is just people roll their eyes at it. They're like, this, it's really nothing. It's a bad case of the flu. And so in rural parts of Wisconsin, they're operating as if everything's normal. But when you're in the more urban areas of the state where they're taking it more seriously and they're more afraid of it, I do. I guess what you're saying, Ian, is the people in the rural part of the state would not have held it against Trump if he was more for the mass where it could have helped him on the margins in some of those more suburban areas. Um, so you're probably right about that, you know, and it reminds me of another issue that came up. I volunteered, we were down doing doors in Mequon, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Milwaukee. And it was a traditionally Republican area. It's a very, it's your typical suburban upper class white area. And there were a lot of Black Lives Matter signs. And it dawned on me that the Black Lives Matter movement was more popular with the white suburban women than it was with the actual black people who live in Milwaukee because those people, they want <coughs> officers and they, they don't like the high crime in their neighborhoods. And it became, became a symbol to have that sign. It didn't, I, I, it's hard to explain, but then that issue too, I think helped Trump because defund the police got to be very unpopular. And most places in Wisconsin, people like their local police department and they don't, they believe that we can reform policing, but they, they by and large support their local law enforcement. And, and for what it's worth, a lot of conservatives are all for reforming policing as well. Right. Yep. You know, because nobody wants liberties trampled on. Nobody. Right. Well, I think everybody's like, I think everybody's for reforming any institution that like there's inefficiencies that that lead to it performing badly. Like, I think anybody is for that. But whenever you have people uh, posting like, what is it? ACAB all over the place, spray painting that all all over the place. It's like, yeah, OK, well. You know, this went from being another thing about tax policy and being efficient to now it's a moral issue. And it's like, yeah, but like with the mask, same thing. It's like, like, I remember, I remember like the moment I think it happened was whenever people were trying very, very early on, like a lot of the like Trump voters were like, you know, this is, this is just the flu. This is just a, this is just a flu. So they were trying to open up the economy, I think late April by late April. And then everybody was saying, no, 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 you're not allowed to be like by going to that rally, you're going to spread the disease. And it's like they were attacked for being at a rally. And then by late May, the rallies looked very different, but they didn't cause any diseases anymore. It's like the rules kept on switching and changing. So I think that whenever after that, the fact that the rules change on masks, people are like, no, no, the rules don't the rules don't apply to some people. So they don't apply to me. And it's like, like I kind of wonder, it would it be possible for Trump to have taken that? It's like Ian, like I think that you're onto something as far as would it have been a good idea for the suburban people? I think that you're onto something, but I kind of wonder, would it be possible for him to, like even even Trump with the Trump effect, could he have possibly turned that that sense of resentment for people writing the rules? 
yes, yes. On the mask issue, absolutely, yes. This was one of the things I followed. And I can tell you the day that Republicans quit being the ones primarily worried about COVID and how bad it was, and the day Democrats became the ones primarily worried, and all of a sudden Republicans kind of did an about-face. And that was <coughs> at the end of the Democrat primary. So before that, the uh, major Democratic figures were out going and they were campaigning. They were holding the rallies. They were saying, we have nothing to fear. If you are worried about COVID, you are uh, scaremongering, you are racist. Racist, yeah. You know, and and, and uh, actually even Nancy Pelosi said that until the day of the Democratic primaries. What happened after that next day was all of a sudden the entire message from the left did a complete 180. And all of a sudden, Trump hadn't done anything to confront COVID. It was the worst threat to American society ever. And everybody needed to mask up and hide in their houses. And Donald Trump, in predictable Donald Trump fashion, came out swinging and said, you guys are full of it. This is <laughs> fake news. And he, uh, yeah, he just lost the, 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 moral leadership in a lot of ways on the issue mm. by basically allowing the left to frame him. Yeah, Honestly, oh, sorry. I, I just want to interject about this. No, Honestly, Jane, you haven't spoken this whole meeting. You're not going to start now. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like, I haven't said anything. I better say something. But um, that whole situation with the masks, I remember so distinctly a lot of conservatives saying like, yeah, we were really concerned about this virus. We, we need to, to stay home. We need to be very careful. We got to wear masks. We got to do everything. And then the moment the Democratic shift, uh, the messaging shifted, it, it it was just insane. And just the gaslighting just makes me so angry about that issue. I, I can't believe it. Even today, it's almost been a year. It's just insane. Like, how does that kind of thing happen? Like, it shouldn't happen, and it did. And I, I just can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I got my well, no, it was insane. You're right. <laughs> I, I actually remember, like, like Jane. I remember. I think that it was in a chat that you were the one who brought that up. Because, like, Christine, now that you're mentioning it, I'm like, yeah, I do remember. That was part of the history. But I think Jaden, you were the one who pointed out in some yeah. private chat that we were having at some point months and months ago. Oh, but yeah. like, I kind of wonder. It's just you know, did people forget how to read history? Did people forget how to have memories that last more than three months? I don't know. These things, by the way, shouldn't be political. Uh, I'm putting on my scientist hat here right now. Not not political. I ordered mine in January because I saw not, this coming. No, no, <laughs> no, Christine. You're trying. You're trying to do a thing. It's not going to happen. It's too late. It's too late. All right. No. Now I'm, but, well, I, I'm sorry. We're, I feel like the War Elephant team is, is taking attention from Ron. That's always my fault because I talk too much. Um, did you have anything else to add to that one? No, I think we covered it well. And I thought Jaden was like the Ed McMahon of the show. He was just kind of here. So I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> now Jaden's going to have to go look up who Ed McMahon is. Probably. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So the, the question I wanted to end the podcast on is, uh, Ron and Jaden, can you tell us a fun memory of the campaign to leave our, our watchers and listeners with? A fun memory of the campaign. Well, we had several of them. Um, I don't know, Jaden, what would your funnest memory be? Well, I did talk about this last time. I would say that probably election night was probably one of the most fun nights of the entire election. I mean, 
Uh, we had gone from thinking that we had no chance in this entire election for, uh, to realizing we actually have a shot at winning the presidency. And even though it didn't pan out in the next couple of days, um, it was a really fun night. We won several seats in the House and we held the Senate. And that's what I'm really happy about. So um, I would I would have to say it was probably one of the most fun nights of the election. So it's been a wild ride. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, and for me, election night is always a relief because I actually, as much as I've been to the politics, I hate election day because we've done everything we can and now we're just waiting. Like that point where the polls close at eight o'clock and you wait for two hours, that kind of drives me nuts. I'd say my most fun moment was um, in August, we finally got to participate in one parade in the county. We were in Little Eden, Wisconsin, and the crowd was really, really big and they loved the Trump signs we were carrying and walking in the parade with. And even though it poured on us for 10 minutes and we got soaked and had to change clothes, I thought that day was probably that was one of the more fun experiences. And just the positive feedback we got from the crowd made it a fun day. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ron. Uh, thank you, John, Jaden, and Christine. Thank you for all of us for sticking us with an hour and a quarter. Um, <laughs> it was a long podcast. I warned you. Well, it got it's really always good. It's always good. It, it just started really moving around the forty-five minute mark when I was thinking about wrapping us up. So I was like, "No, nah, let's. This is good <laughs> chemistry. This is good information." So I'm glad we we went through it. I really appreciate you giving us your time, Ron. Um, and I hope that all of you have a wonderful evening and a wonderful week. And we'll see you next Monday. Thank you for Bye. having me. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye.